0: Some of you uh, know that years ago, uh, uh, when I served in a small church in Colorado, I also had to work at a bank. Uh, now, I had never had a, a finance or banking class, but, but, but honestly, it didn't seem that hard. I mean, it was all about OPM, other people's money. I, I mean, people who had money put it in the bank, and, and then we loaned it out to people who didn't have money. We charged for the loans and and paid interest for the deposits, never the same. Of course, we collected more than we paid. That's how banks make their money. It all seemed rather easy. But now, accounting, that's a completely different animal, much more difficult. I've always heard that banking and accounting were opposite from each other, never really understood that. What bankers count as credits, accountants count as debits, and what bankers count as debits, accountants count as Credits, something to do with credere and debere, left, right, you know, assets, liabilities. Again, never really got it. Maybe one of these days, Randy Edwards can explain it to me. But I remember this kind of opposite thinking about finances uh, this week as I studied the text for today. You see, I discovered that Jesus' way of accounting was completely opposite of the way we do accounting. I mean, while most of us couldn't read a balance sheet to save our lives, we we do understand that that more is better, right? I mean, ten dollars is better than one dollar. Nod your head yes. Okay, we get that. Okay, a hundred dollars is better than ten. A thousand better than a hundred. Even our kids get that. Offer them one M M&M and M or a bag of M and Ms, and I suppose most of them would pick the bag. <laughs> it's really not that difficult. But then Jesus showed up, and as he often did, he switched the price tags of life. The, the, the things that we desperately hold on to, you know, our pride and, and being first and, and, and our stuff, he says, let it go. And, and the things that we avoid at all costs humility, <laughs> being last, uh, serving and, and suffering, he says, embrace. And that money thing... He actually says more can be less and less can be more. It seems to me that he's more of an accountant than a banker. He got it backwards. Don't take my word for it. Look at the text before us. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to the end of the chapter, says this. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And and many rich people were putting in large sums. And then a poor widow came and and put in two small small copper coins, which amount to about a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. Are are you kidding me? (laughs) For they, they all put out of their surplus but she out of her poverty put in all she owned all that she had to live on literally her she put in her whole life that's kind of interesting more is less less is more (laughs) think about it when's the last time you saw a building at a university or a hospital wing uh, named after a donor Who gave the least? We don't do it that way. We all understand more is better. Give to some cause, and you may get a personal call from the president if it's enough. Go to a play, some show, and receive the program, and typically listed are the major donors. The rest receive little notice, seldom thanks. Is is it possible our accounting is backwards? Is it, is it possible less can actually be more and more less? And I know I'm talking to American Christians today. I would suggest those programs you received when you went to the play eventually find their way to the recycling bin. University buildings and hospitals... One day turned to rubble. But, but this nameless poor widow and her gift have been recorded forever in the eternal word of God. Dare I suggest that she is the major donor of all time? Why? What was, what was different about her gift? Now... I understand that we could certainly apply this text to everything, you know, we possess. In fact, some of you would like me probably to do that, talk about my time, talk about my talents, but leave my money alone. (laughs) But but the text is concerned with coins, (laughs) with money, with the things that we hold most dear. Maybe we can learn something about giving. Maybe it's not about the amount of the gift. Maybe it's about the heart of the giver. Now, now, I know I, I run a risk this morning, and maybe you're visiting here today, and Ethan stands up and tells you, we need a million bucks. And maybe, maybe you're checking this, this church thing out, and, and you're thinking, of, of course we're going to talk about money. Isn't that what this Christianity thing is all about? To be, to be fair, I would say two things. First, I am teaching verse by verse through Mark, and, and this is the next text. I didn't pick it. But but second, I would say that Jesus talks about money a lot. Some suggest more than anything else, because he knows what grips our hearts. Consider, for example, what a dollar might say if it could speak. You hold me in your hand and call me yours, yet May I not as well call you mine? See how easily I rule you. To gain me, you would all but die. I am impersonal as rain, essential as water. Without me, men and institutions would die. Yet I do not hold the power of life for them. I am futile without the stamp of your desire. I go nowhere unless you send me. For me, men mock, love, and scorn character. My power is terrific. Handle me carefully and wisely, lest you become my servant rather than I yours. Is it it possible that money can, can serve us rather than the other way around? Handle me carefully and wisely. I would suggest this widow did just that by giving it away. What was it about her gift that captured Jesus' attention, that, that prompted this astonishing claim? Let's outline the text as we make our way through it with, with the intent of some self-examination today, some questions for you to consider. How do I handle money? How does it handle me? Does it have the stamp of my desire? Does it control me or do I control it? Is Jesus and his work more important to me than my money? Yeah, I going to go like this. We're going to look at the background in verse, to the story in verse 41, and then we're going to meet the donors, if you will, verse 41, 42, and then we're going to see which one of those um, Jesus commends, and it may surprise us. Now, I know as we begin, this is a bit like banking. It's really not that difficult to understand. But is it difficult to live? Do we live like this? Start with the background. It's It it was still the very long Tuesday of Passion Week. Jesus is still at the temple. He has silenced those who sought to do verbal battle with Him, both by answering their questions and asking them questions they could not answer. Remember, He just nailed the, the, the scribes for their hypocrisy. We looked at that last week. How they did everything for show. There's a sense in which this story follows that intentionally as an intentional contrast. Their arrogant showmanship contrasted with this poor widow's humble sacrifice. And Jesus makes his way uh, to, sit, uh, to sit down opposite the treasury. Now that word treasury could refer to two related things. I mean, at first it could Refer to the room or rooms that acted as sort of the bank, really more like a Fort Knox. It's, it's where the, the, the donations, the gifts, the offerings, the temple tax were then stored. And the, the guy who administered that, that room, the bank president, if you will, was, was considered the second most important man behind the high priest because, after all, he handled the money. But the word could also refer to the, the, the chest or a collection boxes for the donations, all right, where you put the money. Uh, uh, given the context, that seems to be the word that is used here. These boxes were located in the court of women in the temple complex. Uh, uh, complex. Now, the court of women was right inside the court of the Gentiles. It, it wasn't just for women, but it was as far as Jewish women could go. Inside of that was the court of Israel where only Jewish men could go. Inside of that was the court of priests. And then inside of that was the most holy place where only the high priest could go. And that only once a year. Well, these chests for collecting the, the donations wanted them to be the place that's most, where most of the people are. Uh, so we placed that in the court of women. They were trumpet or shofar-shaped Box of shofar, like a ram's horn. There were 13 of them, seven for specific things like the half shekel tax, the, the bird offerings, the wood offerings, the incense offerings, the gold for the sacred vessels. It's not like you took the bird and shoved it in the it's, you put money in the box for the bird offerings, all right? It, but six of them were f- for free will offerings. The, the giver would approach a priest to declare what the offering was for and then also how much. The, the priest would examine the money, check it, it was real. And, and then the giver would then be directed uh, to the appropriate box to deposit the, the gift. What's important is that those around could hear the exchange, the, the conversation that was taking place. Which brings us to the donors in the last part of verse 41 into verse 42. We find that the many rich people were putting in large sums. How do we know that? Because everybody knew that. Putting in, you see, could be translated throwing in large sums. They didn't have paper currency. They only had coins. And and those heavy coins, especially if there was a lot, made a lot of noise. And and a lot is better, right? Because more is more and then less is less. No doubt, as they announced their amount, they, they said it with much personal pride. People listening would have been amazed. Well, wow, that is a lot of money. Give them a hand. Put their name on the side of the box. Well, this reminds me of Jesus' first sermon in the Gospel of Matthew. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 6, he's, he, he's, he's, ta- he's talking about how religious people did things... To be noticed. You, things like praying and, and fasting and, and giving. Now, all three of these virtues are important aspects of the Christian life. They are things that we should do that God uses to mold us and mature us and grow us. But if it's just for showing off, you know, like wearing long robes, then, 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 then sure. We, we do those things, but for all the wrong reasons. For show. You see, they become merit badges so people can know how spiritual I am. Again, I want to be clear, as followers of Christ, we want to be engaged in these activities, these spiritual disciplines. We want to give, we want to pray, we want to fast, but with the right motives. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So... Turns to giving. When you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. And, and then let's take a moment to look at the words that, that Jesus is using here because he's, he's taking great pains to, to paint a, a picture. And when, when he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. To be noticed by them, the words "to be noticed" comes from the from the from the word the from from which we get our word theater. Theater, you know, where you put on the show. And then later, you see, he's going to call them hypocrites. Many of you are aware that this word, hypocrites, originally spoke of a Greek actor who wore a mask that portrayed in exaggerated fashion the role that he was playing. If he was happy, big smile on the mask. If he was sad, big frown. Sometimes the masks were were, were huge, full body length, which they carried about. The, the point is, you didn't know who was behind the mask just like actors today if they play the part very very well you're completely drawn in you don't really think about the real person uh, you think about the mask the show a picture is beginning to emerge jesus says beware of practicing your righteousness before men as an actor in the theater just playing a part You're not really sad, you're not really happy, and you're not really spiritual. You're just on stage before people playing a role, doing good deeds to make you look good, and convincing an audience that you're something you're not. Oh, and you might convince them. You might get the applause, you might get the attention, you might get your name on the box, and you'll have your reward. But you will never fool God, and you will never get a reward from Him. Jesus gives the first example of this external performance in in, in this virtue of giving. Verse 2 says, When you give to the poor, that is literally when you give alms, do do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Alms were given uh, to meet the needs of the poor. You did that at the synagogue uh, or in the streets. You didn't do it at the temple. I was off of the temple, and again, many today are uncomfortable with churches talking about money. Now, no wonder. It is true that some charities, to include churches and ministries, are just in it for the money. I get that, and it is true that some people give for for what they can get out of it. They want some kind of recognition. So so drive by, again, those hospitals and universities, and every wing or gym or auditorium is named after some benefactor, and they have their reward, their name on the side of a building, good for you. It's great. Unfortunately, some ministries have followed suit. Give a certain amount, and you can be recognized. You can be in the bronze, the silver, or the gold circle. Give even more, and you can be in the president's club. And then when they publish annual reports or brochure to entice more giving, your name will be published for everyone to see. And you have your reward, your name on a report that will be filed away, never to be read again. Good for you. Go into some churches and you'll find the same thing. Names all over everything. Little plaque on the organ. Uh, there's one on the piano, maybe even on the pulpit. There's one on each pew, and you're never really certain if you're allowed to sit in that pew. (laughs) And they have their reward, a name engraved on the bottom of an offering plate. Good for you. No reward from God. Now, let me be clear here, though. If anybody would want to actually write a check for a million, we might engrave your name somewhere in the uh, auditorium. Not really. (laughs) Not really. And Jesus says, when you give, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. What, is, what does this mean? Lots of discussions about uh, this, like throwing the, that money in those trumpet-shaped boxes that made lots of noise. Uh, it's possible, but he's talking about giving alms. Uh, the, the, the bottom line is that there doesn't seem to have ever been a practice of blowing a trumpet before giving. It, it's likely that it means then what it means today. Don't sound your own horn to draw attention to yourself if you do you, you you have your reward you've been paid in full this word speaks of being receded you've given you've been receded you've been paid in full you've received your reward the recognition that you desire you won't get anything else you you, you got what you wanted the applause of, of men why should you expect anything from god Uh, this is the way the, the rich gave then, and no doubt the way they were giving in the temple that particular day. Enough of Matthew, back to Mark. <laughs> and then next comes in the next donor, this poor widow. This is exactly how it reads. Poor widow. How, how did Jesus know she was poor. I mean, certainly it could be from his own deity. He, he knew it because he knew her. It could be because of the way she was dressed, shabby, old clothing. She, she wouldn't be the one that you would notice, except that she might look a little homeless. Most wouldn't give her the time of day. And certainly, certainly she wouldn't have that much to give, Right? I mean, she makes her way up to the priest and and says likely under her breath, I have two small copper coins, which amount to about a cent. That's not exactly right. The, the, The two small copper coins you may know as the widow's mite. These were the smallest of the coins minted in Palestine at this particular time. They were called lepta, which literally means tiny, tiny things, uh, one of them was a one of these lepta uh, lepton was about one one hundred twenty eighth of a denarius. A denarius was one day's pay for the common laborer. I'm going somewhere with this. Stay with me. She had two of them, which together were told equaled a cent. It's real literally a, a quadron. That's a Latin word, which fits the idea that Mark was actually writing to at the church at Rome. But the quadron was the smallest minted Roman coin, and it took two lepta to make one uh, quadron. Not a lot. Here's the point. She gave two copper coins, which amounted together. Do the math, and it's about 164th of a day's wage. Wow. Are you impressed yet? Well, let me do the math for you. Let's just say you're making a common laborer's wage. We'll call it minimum wage. So you're making about 60 bucks a day. One sixty-fourth of that is about a little less than a buck. A little bit more than a cent, not much. Maybe enough to buy something off the dollar menu. That's the idea. She's poor. When she says to the priest, I have a couple copper coins, these tiny things, lepta, I'm, I'm quite... Confident the priest was unimpressed. <laughs> so were those standing by. Uh, but what did Jesus, what did Jesus think? That's what matters, you see. That brings us to our third point, Jesus' commendation of this rather meager gift. He, he calls the disciples to himself. He, he grabs their attention with his, truly I say to you, that's his way of saying, this is important, listen up. This poor widow he likely he likely had to point her out so she would be easily overlooked this, this, this poor widow the one who's standing over there in the corner she put in more than all contributors to the treasury is this is all contributors together or all all individually i don't know all what wait what what jesus he threw in a buck how can, how can less be more? What, what, what kind of accounting are you using? Is this new math? You need new batteries for your calculator? Your abacus broken? How is it that, that, that it is more than the large sums that the rich people were putting in who deserve our attention? Because the rich gave from their surplus. Their abundance. They gave from their their discretionary income. They gave out of their abundance. Sure, it was a lot, but they had a lot to give. And they wouldn't even miss it. They tipped God. And felt good about it. But there was nothing sacrificial about their giving at all. A couple of weeks ago. Uh, Two weeks ago, Friday, I was in Erbil, the the capital of Kurdistan in northern Iraq. It was Friday, which which is the Muslim Holy Day. And so a lot of Christian churches uh, meet on that particular day for worship. Sunday is actually a work day. So so I went to church. It was an uh, international evangelical church. I was deeply encouraged to look around and see many people from many different nations i mean i 'm talking a multi racial ethnic multinational church. This was incredible worshipping the true and the living God together, a little bit of heaven They were warm and and welcoming The worship was was deep and meaningful. The sermon, it was great. They were doing a, a Bible survey so the people there could understand the Bible's storyline, how it all fits together. It was great. It came time for the offering. I had some cash that I had carried for the trip, but, but I, hadn't, I hadn't needed it. It was near the end. I was flying out a couple days later. It was the weekend before I came home. So Pulled out my wallet and I pulled out a 10. It was sitting next to to a stack of 20s that I thought that I would spend, that I didn't. That day I kept the 20s and tipped God with the 10. 10 bucks. That's what the church and worship meant to me that particular day. That's what God meant to me that day. I'm deeply grieved. You see, I came home and then this week I studied this text. This poor widow, she gave gave from her poverty. I gave from my excess. Well, a little of what I didn't need. She didn't have it to give, but she gave it all. I had it to give and I kept it. She put in all she owned her whole life. She skipped the morsel of bread that she may have been able to buy for that day. She sacrificed and gave all that she had to live on. That's how she gave more. You see, God doesn't necessarily look at the amount, He looks at the heart. And the one who gives till it hurts, sacrificing what he or she has for the sake of the kingdom, the the one who sacrificially gives it all, that's what counts. Oh, people like this widow may may never have their names on the side of a building or printed in a program, but I want you to notice, God, that's Jesus noticed. He noticed that Friday in with me too. It's what matters. It's when less is more. It's called laying up treasures in heaven. Much more I could say about this. I'm reminded of the offering that Paul collected for the poor church in Judea. He's writing to the church at Corinth uh, to, to remind them to give. And he's encouraging them from the example of the churches in Macedonia. We read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, brothers, we wish to make known to you of the grace of God. You see, giving is a grace. I want to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep Poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They were poor and they gave more than they had. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Begging, begging us with much urging for the favor of Participation in the support of the saints, the poor believers in Macedonia begged Paul for the privilege of participating in giving from their own poverty. Their example, by the way, too made it into the eternal word of god it 's a lot better than a printed program. Paul goes on to talk about giving in sec- the next chapter, second corinthians chapter nine now. This I say, he who sows sparingly, tips God with a ten, will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Not not, not grudgingly or under compulsion. I want to be clear. Each one should give. Whatever you are able to give, as you give cheerfully and sacrificially, it's not the amount. You see, it's not the ten or ten thousand. It's not the amount. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. See, so you give and you get more, right? Yeah, so that you can give more and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You get more not to spend it, but to give it. American Christian you will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God all through scripture we find God loves the cheerful humble sacrificial giver you you, you might say I don't have that much to give he knows you give sacrificially because you love Christ and His kingdom. You you love the work that He is doing in His church. And He will take what little you have and, and, and bless it. You see, it is the attitude of the giver, not the amount of the gift. One author said it this way. For Jesus, the value of the gift is not the amount given, but the cost. Cost to the giver in the temple others gave what they could spare but the poor widow spared nothing is that what you do? is that what I do? it does not matter what you have to give it matters that you give with a heart fully surrendered to him And do it with the right motive. And not to get more, but to give more and further God's kingdom. Not to get attention. If you do, you'll get attention, but that's all you'll get. There's an old saying, when you give and and remember, God forgets. When you give and forget, God remembers. The, The most satisfying giving And and the giving that God blesses is that which is done in sacrificial, loving, faithful joy. And then and then forgotten. The issue is the attitude of the giver, not the amount of the gift. Stand for prayer. Our heavenly Father, we um, we come into your presence yet again this morning, and those who know me um, know that this is a very uh, difficult topic for me. It's not one that I would pick. It feels so self-serving, and, and 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 churches across our land have abused finances and have enriched themselves through through the giving of of your people, and. And Father, I have, um, I confess, I have at times shied away from this most necessary grace, this most necessary topic, even though Jesus talked about it a lot. Um, and, and yet, here we have it before us this morning. And, and I want us as a, a people. Um, to, to give joyfully and sacrificially because we love you. We want to give everything that we have, certainly our time and certainly our talents, but of our stuff, of our treasures, of our finances, recognizing that everything that we have, you have gifted to us. We are but stewards of that which you've entrusted to our care. May we handle it. Wisely, we pray in Christ's name.